In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the losses to the Los Angeles Clippers and the Lakers, the 39-point performance from Shake Milton, Al Horford looking like he's 48 years old, and what to expect from upcoming games against the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors. And with that out of the way, enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Podner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We are coming to you after two feel-good wins, which is not <laughs> something I think most people expected us to be talking about in March when they put this team together, and that is going to be a topic that we broach during this episode. You mean feel-good losses. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a- I'm, on a, I'm a little off my game. I'm on the road right now. Yes. Two feel good losses, but they felt like it's they, they, a blast they felt for the like past. Yeah, <laughs> this is right now. I'll tell you what we're talking about: moral victories and Shake Milton carrying your team. This definitely feels like process era Sixers basketball. It felt like a positive process weekend, and <laughs> and let's start with this: the Sixers were dramatically outgunned in both of those games. I think the LA swing. That represents probably the toughest two-game stretch of the season, regardless of who's playing. Two best teams in the West. I, I don't know if they are record-wise right now, but they are going to be at the end of the year. The Sixers were also without their two All-Stars. And, and not to uh, sweep this to uh, to the side, Josh Richardson just ran into Alec Burks's, uh <laughs> right. what, what did he run into? His shoulder? Or his head? It wasn't his shoulder. It wasn't it was wasn't the full Embiid. You never yeah. go full Embiid Fultz, but and and Josh Richardson, who is sneakily having pretty rough injury season, rough injury season, and a pretty and a rough, rough season offensive here. Yeah. yeah, and you just knew after all of those things that something crazy would have to happen for the Sixers to get a win, and as it turned out, something crazy did happen on Sunday with Shake Sanity. But it wasn't enough. And so they're outgunned, but they played hard. They didn't get embarrassed in either game. I think the Lakers did have about 15 insane highlights, and yeah. LeBron was goofing around pretty consistently in the second half of that game. But they didn't there was, get killed. There was a 10-minute stretch, I would say, they were embarrassed. Yeah. But they didn't get killed. It wasn't like one of the negative process games. I'm thinking... You know, Dallas, when they're down 50, seemingly Spurs. midway through the first quarter, Spurs. Clippers, oh, yeah. they always got killed by the Clippers. Spurs on Colangelo night was, yep. uh, I didn't watch any of that game because I was writing about the Sixers ruining their team. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they got killed that night. So like, you're looking at the stakes too. We we can argue the merits of the, the four versus the six seed. I think there are some pros and cons on both sides. It's become a lot more difficult with Boston playing the way that they are. Yeah. So when Brett is back in that process mode and he says stuff like I read in your article today, to the guy's credit, they really didn't roll over. They had some bite in them. I'm going to agree with them. And I, and I I think you're getting a lot of pushback too. On, you know, this team is too good. We're past moral victories, blah, blah, blah. And I would just say, normally, yes. 
But when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are out and you're playing these ridiculously tough games, I'm sorry, you're not past moral victories. If you had Joel Embiid to body up Anthony Davis, if you had Ben Simmons to check LeBron James, we could have a different conversation right now. They were trying to win that game on the backs of a real hot Glenn Robinson III and Mike Scott. And just stop and look, they both had good games. And to be honest, we haven't been able to say that very much all that often in Mike Scott's case all year, but they both had two legitimately good games and good for them. But when you're talking about those two competing up against LeBron James and who, by the way, were both playing good basketball, like LeBron hitting freaking threes from the logo and Anthony Davis playing the way that he was, like that's a real tough team. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot, I'm sure, about Al Horford and his inability to stop him. And not rightfully good. so. It was not good. But that, I mean, they, they were very much out. Like, I was on the radio last night after the game uh, with Jody McDonald. And he's like, you know, I've had callers be like, well, you have to get Shake Milton 20 shots in that game. And it's like, if that's where our conversation is, and look, I, I really don't <laughs> want to talk bad against Shake. He's had a hell of a run. But if that's where the conversation is going up against AD and LeBron, two legitimate MVP candidates, like, what are we doing here? What are we, what, what, like, they played really well offensively in the first quarter. Really well. Moved the ball spectacularly. Didn't turn the ball over. Got good shots. And then the way I phrased it is at the beginning of the game, the Sixers were playing like they were without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. They came out with exceptional energy. They got all the loose balls. Their ball movement was great. But at the beginning of the game, the Lakers were playing like the Sixers were without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid too. And their effort <laughs> was not there. Yeah. And then the, the, the Lakers dialed it up. They brought some pressure on the perimeter that the Sixers couldn't handle, and that fueled their offense. And then they got AD going, and once AD got going, I mean, Al Horford offered no resistance, and that was it. That was all sure. Once the Lakers were treating this like a real game, it was over. They had really little chance. Watching that game, it made me even more impressed with the performance in January when they won yeah. without... I don't think Richardson played in that game either. I think it I think was, was without... Embiid and Richardson were both out, yeah. Yeah. And they kicked the shit out of the Lakers that night. So, you know, I, I don't think there's too much we can really say about the results of those games. I, I think you just wanted them to play competitive and you wanted them to not feel discouraged afterwards. I you know, you were in the locker room. Did, did it feel like a discouraged group afterwards? No, no, it didn't. And that, that's really like, you know, I came on this road trip. I'm like, well, what, what exactly am I going to be writing on on this trip? You know, like, am I going to be talking about a team at the end that's in complete disarray because they've lost 11 straight road games? Or am I going to be talking about a team that found itself? And I think we're kind of in the middle. Like, this is not, this does not feel like a team, like the weight of, it, it, and it almost feels like the injuries have lessened this weight. Because I feel like at seven losses in a row on the road, this team was really feeling the weight of those mounting losses. But at nine losses in a row, because of how it's happened and who they've missed and how they've played, it doesn't feel like a team that's on that kind of a losing streak away from home. So no, I don't. this doesn't feel like a team right now that has... I mean, I think they understand. And again, it's probably easier that like the guys who would be frustrated, particularly Joel. It seems like Joel's <laughs> mood is the one that goes up and down. He hasn't been playing. Mr. He hasn't Moody. been available. Um, the, yep. the people who are playing, you know, Glenn Robinson, he just wants to get in and get playing time, get touches. Shake Milton, he's, you know, sort of proving <laughs> him. I mean, he was on the jump. Like, so these guys aren't going to be the frustrated ones. <laughs> but no, it doesn't feel like a locker room that is, uh, you know, has the weight of that on them. Shake had a full interview 
on the jump. Amazing. It's amazing. I feel like he's not going to be discouraged for another year, at least. <laughs> no, of, when, uh, when Shake Milton's month started after the trade deadline, and they had just acquired two wing players who would soak up some of his minutes, being on the jump, I don't think was something he was expecting. Yeah. I kind of like the identity they formed, too. We talked about this a little bit after the Knicks game on that podcast, but spread the floor with shooters, get up a bunch of threes. They have shot it well recently, so that you do wonder what it might look yeah. like if they don't shoot well. <laughs> yeah. And then If they were shooting their typical 20%, we'd have a different podcast right now. Yeah, and that's because they're completely overmatched on the other end of the floor. But I, I do think the opponents matter a lot. They're going to play in Sacramento. And Golden State, which not easy place to play. Sacramento's playing some of their better basketball of the season. It feels like the Sixers have not gotten, I don't know, the easy parts of the schedule. Like, of course, AD misses the game in New Orleans the other night. Yeah. But then he's and back LeBron playing. LeBron missed one like two days ago or two games ago, too. Yeah. And then he's back at the height of his powers against this ragtag Sixers team. And then Sacramento earlier in this year, you could have missed him without De'Aaron Fox. Whatever. But but they're going to play. When they were playing Garbanzo Beans too. Yeah, and they're going to play at Sacramento and at Golden State. And of course, to uh, to add to my point, I believe Golden State will have a guy named Steph Curry back. I think which... he is questionable for Thursday's game, which will be the last one before the Sixers play them. Look, I don't know of any teams that rush their guys back for national TV appointments, but uh, I would imagine Steph will be back for that game. They have a chance to win both of those games if they play at the level we saw in L.A. These teams are not as good. As I just got your joke. It took me a little while, but I got it. Good. Well, hey, you're, you're groggy. <laughs> you're dealing with some inconsequential basketball. I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if they're able to get one or one of these two games and continue to just play this competitive level of basketball, as much as some people might not want to hear it, I think that's the best you could have reasonably. We'd like to pause for a brief minute to ask you, our excellent and faithful listeners, to click into the show notes for today's episode and follow a link that's there for a very short survey. You all know so much about us, from our disdain of travel, to our thoughts on pick-and-roll defensive schemes, to our love of garbanzo beans and the excellent product they provide, but we don't know anything about you. The survey is 11 super simple questions and will take you sub-60 seconds, I promise. So head to the show notes for today's episode and click on the link. Thank you once again for listening each and every week and for being there with us throughout the years. And now back to today's episode. All right, so do, do we want to start off, now that we're 10 minutes in, do we want to start off, quote unquote, start off, positively or negatively? Negatively. All right. So before the, the trip started, first of all, if they were going to compete defensively, they needed Josh Richardson and Al Horford to play at the top of their games. Well, one of them got hurt and the other one is not quite playing at the top of their game. So especially against the Lakers, it seemed like if they were going to have any chance, Al Horford needed to look like 28-year-old Al Horford, and he looked like 38-year-old Al Horford. Look like 48-year-old Al Horford. <laughs> Rich, how bad was he on Tuesday night? He was really bad. And and the Lakers game, that felt a little more dominant in terms of like the Sixers being more overmatched. I know Shake made a billion threes against the Clips, but they were trading buckets against them. And, and they were playing zone for a lot of the second half trying Ugh. to goad yeah garbanzo Le lebron and and kuzma who all they did was goad dwight howard and layups and dunks yeah and, th and they played some small ball with mike scott at center and that's what's going to happen where the uh 
the Lakers with their great size with JaVale and Dwight, they, they got inside for a lot of easy baskets. And that's, I'm not really blaming anybody for that. What I am concerned about is that even with those easy layups, those Mike Scott at center lineups felt like the best basketball yeah. the Sixers played by a lot. And remember, those Mike Scott at center lineups, they tried that at various points in the playoffs last year. It did not work. No, and and Mike, I mean, he's, you know, if he's making shots, it's it's a weapon. And especially against Dwight and JaVale, they're not quite as uh, able to handle three-point shooters. They're, they're pretty sure. mobile guys, but, and it's been cool to see how well Dwight is playing this year after it looked like his career was, was done. But the one thing that I think you were getting to, and that I think we do need to harp on, despite the feel-good competitiveness from the Sixers team, Al Horford looks straight up washed up in that basketball game. Like, when people are murmuring, is this the worst contract in the league? I watch that game and find it hard to put up much of a fight on that. Yeah. He wasn't even moving at the level of last season. It wasn't anything resembling that. And that's not to take away anything from AD. Although one of my takeaways from that game is, man, Embiid does a really good job against that guy. And of course, AD gets the benefit of missing him twice this season, blah, 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 whatever. Well, is the Sixers, whatever. But that guy, you know, he's one of the best five or six players in the league, and he had everything going. I thought his defense was fantastic as well. But some of those moves he made against Al Horford, it looked like Horford's feet were in cement on a couple of them. The spin alley-oop thing over the top from Rondo. AD had caught the ball at the rim before Horford even knew what was happening. Yeah. Yep. There was a Euro step in there. There was a crossover in the second half. They were all really, really ugly. And again, AD is going to get his. He has been getting his the entire season. But Horford is getting paid a lot of money to make him work at least a little bit for those points. And I am not sure Anthony Davis even broke a sweat. Yeah, he looked, his reactions looked slow. His change of direction looked slow. His general just movement looked slow. And there is, you know, look, I don't, don't misinterpret this. I'm not saying I hope he's, I I don't wish injury on anyone, but I hope there's a reason he looks so slow. Yep. Because he does not look like, and look, if he looks like this at 33, I think he'll be 34 in a month or two. What's he going to look like at 36? Like, defense doesn't trend better with aging. At least not when you're at this point of the aging curve. He is not, he's an undersized center who's not moving well. Like, when, when I talk about a night-to-night, what can you expect out of Al Horford? Okay, his passing is good. I, I like that. I consistently like that. Once you get beyond that, I don't know what you... Like, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Like, what positive value is he adding on a night-to-night basis? It's not his shooting. It's not his post-up game. It's not his his defense right now. It's not his rebounding. Like, what? It, oh, this is... And if, like, we were banking a lot not only on him getting better and the fit alongside Embiid getting better, but being able to play him when Embiid's out. And right now, he just he doesn't even look competitive as a backup center. It's really, really troubling. And like I said, I hope... I hope there's a reason for it. I hope he gets back to what, you know, I like to see him play fewer minutes and get some nights off. You know, in previous years, we saw J.J. Redick every now and then get a, you know, a planned night off just to kind of keep him fresh. I'd, I'd like to see that. It's tough to do right now when Embiid's out. 
but I don't know if maybe he's just overworked, but he does not look nearly the same, and that is that's pretty concerning. They showed on the TNT broadcast they were working on him on the sideline. I don't know if that was just a normal maintenance type of thing. He did come right back into the game. It wasn't like Yeah, and he didn't he didn't like stay he wasn't in like a training table for like forty five minutes after the game. Like he came out, showered quickly, gave his interview, and he was he was out the door. So if there was something really like significantly wrong, I would expect there to be a lot of post game treatment, and there wasn't last night. Yeah, and it's like we've said before, he gives you absolutely nothing when you ask. Well, he gives you nothing on the floor right now, too. But he gives you absolutely nothing when you ask, are you healthy? You know, are you dealing with anything? He's you know, he's from the old school where he's not giving that information away. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I hope, I hope he's not hurt for the long term, but I hope there's some reason for him moving like this because, you know, it wasn't even just that AD was jumping over him or he was too strong for him. Which happened at times. Or whatever. That that was part of it. It was how slow he looked. Yeah. On some of those yep. moves. And it just, it looked like, it looked like kind of a different sport that AD was playing compared to him. And yeah, it's, uh you know, we, I'm thinking back to before the season we were gushing about how smart of a player he is. You know, that that has not translated to this season. I don't think he's lost any basketball IQ, but he certainly hasn't been able to make it work with the uneven fit. And it's like you said, they are giving him a chance to now play normal center minutes. There's no fit problems. They're giving him a space floor. They're even giving him a pick and roll ball handler right now with shake going nuts. And he's just been bad. And uh, that's, I think it's really concerning, A, for the playoffs. I completely agree with you, by the way. They need to rest him. I would give him like a week off when Embiid comes back. And and just say, Al, please try and figure something out. We're going to try these different treatments with you. Because, yeah, they have no shot if he's he's playing like this. All right, let's transition to something a little more positive. Shake Malik Milton. I like how we use his real name second. A lot so more positive. The, obviously, obviously, the highlight was a 39-point performance against the Clippers, where he was bombing 30-footers like they were nothing. That was so awesome. At one point, made 13 consecutive three-point shots, which tied an NBA record. Uh, the broadcast, was it ABC? ABC. Shake I, was I keep getting... forgetting if it was ABC or ESPN. It doesn't really matter. It's the same company, but... He was getting the bang call from Mike Breen <laughs> on multiple threes. That was, I mean, that was terrific. And some of it, it's just, it's like I said earlier, I don't think that guy, that guy's going to have a smile on his face for six months at least. Keep going. But they, they incorrectly then said it was his 14th consecutive threes, which would have been an NBA record. It was not as his 13 consecutive, which ties an NBA record with two players from what the 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 nineties, I think, before they even moved the three point line back. So in, in in my eyes, he he is the record holder, at least of this current distance. What in I feel like I feel like the last time we we did a podcast, um, you know, we 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 talked about what do you think can keep going once the Sixers players get back. But like what what do you take away most from the Shake Milton experience? 
And look, he didn't he didn't have nearly as good of a game against the Lakers, uh, especially in the first half. I think he ended up with like two points or something on three shots. Avery Bradley really got into his face and made his life difficult in the first half, uh, which is that a little concerning? Sure. But at some point, Shake Milton isn't going to be the focal point of your offense. And I think it'll be easier for him to function. But what what did you really take away from the not only Shake Milton experience, but also, you know, the weeks leading up to this? It's been a very good story. And I think, you know, even though the 13 made threes in a row is obviously a statistical anomaly, he had been solid, like we talked about, for, I don't know, a month now. I agree with you. Bradley, one of the tougher matchups in the league for him, though, at least when it comes to initiating offense when you're the focal point, unless you're Ben Simmons or unless you're kind of a quick water bug type of point guard, which Shake is not. But even though he did not have a huge scoring or just general offensive night against the Lakers, I like that he played within the flow. He got his teammates involved. He did not. Like you talked about earlier, he did not think, I have to get my 20 shots in this game. I thought that was good. There's been, I mean, it's just been a pleasant surprise. There's one specific thing I'm thinking of. I've been watching this guy for a couple years, as you have, on and off. You know what I didn't realize? He's got Inspector Gadget arms. Yeah, he has like a seven foot wingspan. And again, I'll apologize if this is something he showed more in the G League because I wasn't watching those games much at all, and much less closely. But while he's not a great vertical athlete, he's had some plays on this road trip where he's going full extension for a dunk, and the uh, the one on Beverly sticks out, but he's had these other layups. He had one on Kawhi, too. I mean, Shake, he legitimately beat Kawhi Leonard one-on-one. Yep. I don't care if he wasn't trying. It doesn't matter. The road trip is a victory. <laughs> for that and that alone. But yeah, he, you know, he, he's got these long arms that when he unfurls them, even though he's not an explosive vertical athlete, he's made some really tough finishes and it's been, uh, it's been impressive. And I think that's the general thing I would say. I just think even though the 39 points, that was the spectacular performance. That was when if the Clippers were going under any sort of ball screen, he was popping like Curry and he was making all of them. That's not going to happen all that much. I just see a player who is, again, he's unafraid of the moment. He's steady. He can he can play off his teammates. And while he's not a traditional point guard, that has a lot of value. And, uh, you know, there, there's obviously some shooting regression going, but he's he's been really solid. Now, the question I'm wondering, Let's say if everyone is healthy come playoff time. Let's say Ben's back is magically great. JoJo's in shape. You have the most dangerous six seed since the 1995 Houston Rockets. Is Shake your fifth starter over Horford and GR3 and company? He's certainly over... Yeah, I mean, right now I think he has to be. Like, the fit concerns with Horford and just the general play of Horford hasn't done anything to change that. And Glenn Robinson the third is look, he had a really good game. He finally made some shots. It took him like 130 minutes and eleven attempts, but he made a couple threes. He cut better off the ball. He he, he had a real nice game. But I think I trust. Would you say Shake. that he's would you say that he's adjusting to his he, role? He knows his role now, yeah. That, okay. That's why those shots finally went in. I trust Shake more right now. I think 
Shake has higher upside in terms of what he can bring you. I think he's probably at this point a more steady defender, which is I don't think what we expected when Glenn Robinson was added. And yeah, I would I would I, he is until he loses it or somebody else recaptures it, the fifth starter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and I would try and get him in those screen and roll situations with Ben. You know, I yep, think the, sure. the the Bradley performance on him goes to show that I don't think you want to run a ton of offense through him. It's something we kind of talked about earlier. They're playing through the elbows a lot. It's not traditional Damian Lillard pick and roll offense. But I, I do think there is a role. And I mean, shit, man, if he's going to shoot like this, that's what you need with Ben and Joel. You wrote a little bit about the two-man game with Joel or just any sort of chemistry but that. How do you envision that going? All right, let's take one quick break, too, here from DraftKings. All-star breaks are in the past, and teams have their sights set on securing their place in the playoff race. Over in college hoops, teams are jockeying for tournament seating. So much action, so little time. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you right in the middle of all the action. The XFL is back to scratch everyone's itch for football. Check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app to see what special promotions they're offering on the most extreme league in the U.S. American-made DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. Yeah, it'll be... I don't feel like we've seen a whole lot of... I guess, first of all, I'll back up. Two of the plays that sort of impressed me with Milton, outside of the, the dunk, which, I mean... Yeah, I liked it. It was cool. But also, like, the finish against Kawhi. Not only because he was able to get to the rim at all, but also then the touch and the poise to realize what angle he had and have the coordination to do that. Like he, you know, we, we talked in the last one, like he doesn't have great, he doesn't like have like a huge first step. He's not going to break his guy off the dribble all that much, but he does have enough ball handling where he doesn't lose speed when he starts his movement. Like Tobias, Tobias slows down when he has a ball in his hand. He's just not as, as a good enough of a ball handler. And sometimes he will have lanes to drive that he can't take advantage of. If Shake has a defender where he's off balance or a second slow or a closeout that's not done well, he can he has the ball handling to attack that and get to the rim. So he at least has that going for him. And then also the finish over AD in the layup. I think one of the um, you know one of the more impressive plays that he's made. He does have that. Um, he 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 shields the ball well with his body, with his offhand, with the rim, and he's made some. Impressive finishes because of that, which, look, do I expect him to be a, a, a top option on the perimeter? No, I think we need to back off a little bit on that. I, I think the Lakers game showed a little bit of his limitations in that regard, but I do think he has enough where he can, you know, like I said, if somebody's off balance, bad closeout, he can uh, he can do that. So let's see. Um, They're not looking for a top option. They're just looking for somebody who can play off the two stars. Right. Dribble, shoot, make decisions. He's... He's close we got, man. He's close we got. I guess, so uh, again, even one more second before we go to him and Joel. Like, 
one of the comments Brett made on his road trip is that after the All-Star break, he met with Shake and he you know, told him, right now your role is to be ready. You're not going to be in the rotation. He talks Coming about roles break. with players? What? I, he he Sorry, claims I'm... he met with every player uh, after the All-Star break, but Beating he listened to Glenn ground. Robinson. That didn't happen. Um, you know, I, he, Brett got a lot of Brett got a lot of blowback because of that, saying, like, how can you bench Shake Milton? Which, again, just amazing that we're having this conversation. Here's what I'll say. Like, the Sixers had just gotten... First of all, the way I'll phrase this is if if the conversation is that Brett should have known what he had in Shake Milton and not the Sixers selected and developed a 54th pick in the draft to the point where he might now be a starter on an NBA playoff team, like, that to me is where that conversation should go. Like, I think everyone in the organization deserves credit for this, from selecting Shake to developing Shake, and that includes the G League staff as well as the Sixers coaching staff, to eventually playing Shake Milton over Alec Burks, over more seasoned veterans in this role. And, you know, when the Sixers came back from the break, first of all, Shake Milton is like fourth or fifth on his team of minutes played since January 22nd. Like, it's not like Shake Milton just entered the rotation over the last week or two, as I think the national media and even some fans are sort of painting it as. Like, he was playing 25, 30 minutes a night for a pretty extended period of time. But the Sixers were now fully healthy. They'd gotten Josh Richardson back. They'd gotten Joel Embiid back. They had acquired two veteran wings at the trade deadline, and Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson third. You know, I, am I going to kill him for telling Shake, like, basically, like, hey, look, we just acquired these players. We're going to try them out. They're veterans. We think we, they can help with the playoff run. Keep yourself ready. Like, I, I think that's a pretty natural thing to do. I don't really have a problem with him, uh, you know, expecting Shake to be a bench player or out of the rotation coming up out from the All-Star break. Um, I would say most second-round picks in the second year of their contract, if they have a breakout performance, it's probably because they got an unexpected opportunity. And good on Shake for making the most of it. Totally agree. I think it's one of their better organizational stories. And that's kind of, A, it's kind of the story of the season, but it's certainly the story of this road trip where the guys at the end of the bench, the younger players, are put in tough situations and they're handling themselves pretty well. The big money guys, well, they've been a little yeah. bit disappointing. <laughs> and I would throw Tobias Harris in there too. Oh, yeah. He got His, like 18 points on 17 shots and one trip to the free throw line and not a good performance from Tobias. His one-on-one -on -one play at the end of that game was pretty rough. There, there were a couple, and I'm talking about the Lakers game. There were a couple possessions late when the Lakers had Kuzma on them. It was literally the only good matchup on the floor for the Sixers. Everybody else, awesome defender. And the Sixers were screening for him. And of course, the Lakers switched. And then like Tobias took a bad shot over AD on one of them. Turned the ball over on another one. I don't know. Everyone on the floor is a better defender than Kuzma. That bothered me. But Tobias, he predictably had a rough go of it. And... You know, that's kind of my point. That's the bummer of this road trip and of this season that the Sixers' two $60 million players, Oof. they just weren't all that good. And, and some of the bench guys stepped up more. And look, Tobias wasn't awful. He wasn't brutal. But he, had, he, had, he had a good first quarter, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, he just didn't step up to the level 
maybe some of the bench guys did. And if he did, maybe they would have won one of those games. I don't know. But I think in general, I do think if you're if you're emptying the chamber and putting everyone on blast after those games, I don't think that's the proper perspective. You're going to look bad to an extent against both of those teams. It's just, just the way it is. Yeah. Now, shake with Joel. It'll be interesting. You know, I think most of Shake's minutes have come without Joel in the lineup. Certainly here of this stretch run, like when he first re-entered the rotation back in late January, you know, Joel was out. Joel has been out now, obviously, the last few games. I think in theory he should, like some of that two-man game type stuff, because he can shoot from deep range, because he can have some stuff coming off the dribble, like that is... There is some learned chemistry there that I think tends to take a little bit of time. But skill set wise, uh, mindset wise, I think he should be a good fit. But like you said, I'm also real interested in what he can provide in that two man game with Ben Simmons and and being the ball handler on Simmons pick and rolls. Like we saw, you know, sort of like the one moment how old Neto has had recently is as that ball handler with the Simmons pick and roll against Brooklyn. How can Shake do in that role? Like, I think he should be pretty good in that role. Like, especially if this real deep range is legit and he looked comfortable shooting some of those 30-footers. That, all of a sudden, you know, that that can help overcome some of maybe Shake's lack of elite first step pretty well. Force pulling your defender out that far is not something defenses naturally want to do. It's why players have been given the green light to pursue that shot. And pairing that with, with Simmons... Could be interesting. I mean, it could be interesting with both these guys. I'm really interested to see. And this is maybe the biggest, forget seeding, and we can talk about whether or not you want the six seed or the four seed or the five seed. But maybe the biggest disappointment of all these injuries. And it really does seem like like Simmons isn't close. Like, I know we're a couple days away from an update, theoretically. We should be about two, a couple days away from being two weeks. My guess is we're a couple days away from a non-update. Yeah. But the Sixers, every chance they get, Brett Brown mentions how they expect you all to return sooner and and Ben might be a little ways away. So just sort of like reading the situation, like I'm kind of at the point where if we see Ben before April, I would be a little bit surprised. And do I have any inside information on that? No, of course not. They wouldn't come close to giving me that information, but that's sort of like my gut feel of the situation. And that is a real shame because this is a, I mean, we were, you know, I feel like at, at, at when Joel got hurt initially, it was, um, you know, oh, shoot, like, this is when we need to, and I, I'm, I'm talking about the finger, this is when we need to build chemistry. Like, this is a, a starting lineup that has played so few games together. And then they went and they made this change in the starting lineup with Al Horford, and you said, okay, well, now you really need some time to build some chemistry with this new group that hasn't played together at all. And then they went through this string of injuries, and now it's like, well, we don't even know when we're going to get Ben Simmons back. Uh, and building chemistry on the fly like this is not going to be super easy. But yeah, there's there's a lot of, of interest in how Shake and his skill set can fit when he's... I mean, his role pretty much completely changes, but I think it'll suit him well. It kind of reminds me how Brett often says, we got 30 games left. It's an eternity. We got yeah, 27 games anymore. left. It's an eternity. Yep. The problem is you have 20 games left now, but you're playing with none of your all-stars none of your good players. So it really is amazing how Joel and like Joel gets a lot of shit for this, how, how he finishes a year on, you know, injured or in and out of the lineup every year, but it's such fluky shit. Like Markel Fultz's elbow finds his eye socket, like his, 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 I'm sorry, shoulder, 
Embiid's shoulder, like, you know, he just leans in and, and, and sprains it. And there's so much fluky stuff that happens with Joe, but it, it's been, it's been His finger tough. gets caught in Stephen Adams' yeah. shirt or whatever that was. Yeah, it's, oh, it's I'm it's thinking back tough. of that now. I didn't need that mental picture, but go ahead. It's okay. It's all right. But, <laughs> I like uh, how, how Brett was describing it not too long ago. He's like, yeah, and Joel's finger's flopping around. It's like, yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty close to what happened. Time heals all wounds, and it also allows you to talk about injuries a little more cavalierly. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I do think too with Ben coming back, the the big question for him too is going to be like, let's say he comes back in April, is he going to be able to ramp it up to a hundred percent by, I don't know, if he gets two weeks to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I think Fair that's question. That's pretty questionable. Well, we're getting to the depressing point of this podcast, so that's good. Did you see any celebrities at Staples Center <laughs> over the past two days? Billy Crystal, maybe. I, I did not see. I did not see Billy. No, no. They have pretty good seats for you there, though. They did. Uh, Staples Center is, is fantastic. I was stunned when I walked out there. I mean, you have better seats at Staples than you do at Wells Fargo Center, which makes no sense at all, considering how expensive those seats are. But yeah, those were those were some good seats, some good seats. Good. Oh, the the uh, the the media room, best in the league by yeah. far. Yeah, great There's ice five, cream. Five giant TVs, great food selection, a good work area. I'm a big Staples Center fan. So, what were the differences between the Lakers and the Clippers games? Because I only went to the Lakers game. Hmm. Um, I would the- say food was better for the Clippers, but that's in part because they tried to force. Taco Tuesday on the Lakers game. Oh. And tacos at NBA arenas tend to not be great. How about LeBron trying to trademark Taco yeah, Tuesday, what, what the hell? by the way? Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of difference outside of that, though. Like, other than that, it was pretty much run the same. Well, I mean, now the Clippers... My, my, my mind also tends to go to food more often than not, so... The atmosphere wasn't any different, though, where, like, people into it more for there the Lakers was, game? There was a higher percentage of fans at the Sixers game, I would say. Like, there are a higher percentage of, of Sixers fans at the Clippers game, is what I meant to say. Uh, they The Sixers got some—and Shake, Shake specifically was getting some pretty good cheers. I mean, obviously, he was having a hell of a game, but right from the jump, I would say there was a higher percentage of Sixers fans at the Clippers game. Makes sense. Sunday game, definitely a cheaper ticket to get. It was good though. I'm a I'm a, I'm a fan of Staples. Only other time I'd been out here was for the All Star Game two years ago, and that was just a that was a zoo. So this is my first true Staples Center experience. I agree. I I thought when I went to L A. it would be a zoo, like to just cover a game, and and maybe that would be the case if it's a finals or a playoff game. But it felt, you know, there are obviously some famous people walking around on the courtside seats. But besides that, it was just like it, pretty easy to navigate, pretty fun place to watch a game. I enjoy, uh, I'm blanking on the Lakers announcer, but I enjoy listening to that guy. Has a little bit different of an approach than Matt Cord, I will say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. It, it felt like somewhat like Philly. Yeah. And like even just like, I mean, this is a, a for a, a, a town of trans, transplants. I feel like this is a pretty good basketball town. Like I randomly just getting Lyft drivers who seems like everybody knows knows a little bit about basketball. Uh, wants to talk a little bit about my 
profession. It is, um, you know, I have enjoyed my stay. My stay. I think that's a pretty good way to judge how much of a sports city or a, or a particular sport, how into it that city is. Right, if because you're a cab LA or doesn't a have a drivers. reputation as a great sports city. No. Like, and I think a big part of that is because everyone here, not everyone, but a lot of people here are transplants. But it, it does feel like the, the basketball culture here is pretty good. Yeah. All right. All right. So Sacramento and Golden State. Yep. Feels like one of two. One of two. All right. I'll tell you what, though. Sacramento's, I, I, I know they blew a, did they end up winning that game? I think they beat the Wizards. They blew a big lead, but like they 37 point lead, something like that. It was amazing. But they are, they are playing better basketball of late. Uh, especially at home. And now the, the the Warriors probably are getting Steph Curry back. So those two games are not as easy as I think I would have thought. <laughs> you do hope they can make enough shots. And I, I like a big part of this is going to, especially since they can't guard anyone right now, a big part of this is going to be whether or not they can make enough shots. I'm going to say they take one of two, yeah. If they, Don't if ask they do me which one. All, if, if they do lose all four, though, like some of these feel-good vibes, they go away real quickly. Well, I think if they lose to Sacramento, they're one of the first teams in a long time to be on a 10, or maybe they're the first team ever. I saw some stat about this, to have a 10-game winning streak at home and a 10-game losing streak on the road. It's amazing. At the same time. And then it'll end up working out where like Joel comes back right when they get home too. And now they'll extend both of those streaks even further because it's a weird, weird fucking team. Yep. All right, I think that's a good enough place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you later this week. See you, man.